This week marks the start of the 25th consecutive year of Fox telecasting the baseball postseason. The network and MLB have been together for so long, it's easy to forget what strange bedfellows they were initially. The most staid and tradition-bound of all sports suddenly married to a network known for its irreverence and innovation. An oral history of a deal that changed the way we view baseball, both literally and figuratively, is our cover story this week. Baseball writer Eric Prisbell and assistant managing editor Ted Keith are here to talk about it. That and whatever else comes up once we get talking here in the far-flung virtual newsroom of Sports Business Journal. I'm Bill King, and this is First Look. It has been 25 years since Fox Sports shocked the sports business by landing rights to carry Major League Baseball and its postseason. All these years later, it's easy to forget the culture clash that ensued. We have an oral history of that shape-shifting marriage, which changed the way we view games and the game writ large, as our cover story this week. In to discuss that now, we have our baseball writer, Eric Prisbell, and the shepherd of the project, assistant managing editor, Ted Keith. Eric, for an oral history, you have to get the right voices, and they have to bring the stories. And you did, and they did. It's a, it's a great and enlightening read. Start us with where it started. Those first meetings between Fox and MLB, told through the eyes of those people who were there. And there really were two of them, right? I'll let you go from there. Yeah, absolutely, Bill. Thanks a lot. And, you know, I'll start with uh, in December of 1993 when Fox secured, you know, the rights to, to tele- televise the uh, NFC of uh, the NFL. You know, that was groundbreaking because here was this upstart network that was mostly known. I mean, I knew this is how I knew them from The Simpsons and shows like In Living Color and Tracy Ullman. And it was kind of offbeat and different, but it wasn't a sports network. And, you know, they, they got so much backlash early on by putting the Fox box on the screen and God forbid they'd cover just a portion of the football game, you know, with the score and, and what was happening. And, you know, David Hill, this eccentric Australian, you know, outside the box, wild ideas. Um, you know, he, had, he got death threats at the time. Uh, that calmed down. And and people kind of grew it, it grew on people, and they were already planning. Okay, we're going to get the NHL rights, and then we're going to get MLB rights. And and they really felt they weren't this significant underdog. The, the keys that they really kind of set their sights on were obviously financials were important, but the philosophical issue was significant. They'd have to sell owners, lobby owners, uh, sell Bud Selig on this philosophical approach that we're going to bring all of this innovation, these graphics, uh, a new approach with close-up shots, just reimagine the whole broadcast of the nation's you know, most historic sport and really most conservative sport. And it, it was so interesting in talking to David Hill about what he did to prepare for a lot of those meetings. And, you know, he would just kind of hunker down and watch tape after tape of, of old baseball games or current baseball games and how they were being broadcast and what TV networks were doing wrong at the time in his eyes. He'd rent, you know, or he'd summon somebody to go get him, like Field of Dreams and The Natural and all of the classic baseball movies to see how did Hollywood directors want to see the game? That's how we want to see it. And that's how we want to bring it to you, you know, with, with Fox sports. Uh, and the key meeting was with former commissioner, Bud Selig told me was with Chase Carey, 
top level Fox executives, executive in Milwaukee, you know, it was cold as could be. They had a long lunch at the university club, a private room, and they went over some financials, but really went over in earnest how Fox planned to showcase the game. And and Bud was sold. And and one of the key things that that I can't underscore enough, because there was pushback back and forth that we'll talk about, you know, regarding some of the innovations. But Bud always had an appreciation for the love of the game that so many of the Fox Sports executives had. Uh, no more so than none more so than Ed Gorin. And and Ed goes all the way back to the Brooklyn Dodgers and Ebbets Field. It can tell you story after story about that. And and you could if you talk to Ed for five minutes, you can tell that baseball is in his blood. And and Bud realized that as well. And I think that really helped kind of smooth over some of the some of the more radical ideas that that David Hill and company had and now looking back you know we're 25 years later um somebody who just tunes into to the postseason now you know may not ever know that you know 25 years ago this was such an odd marriage between a an upstart network and the uh the most conservative sport in the country but that's where we are ted that's really where i wanted to bring you in was that odd marriage between that traditional sport and that upstart network. And by the way, the people within that traditional sport who most treasure its traditions, uh, Bud yeah. being Bud being one of them, and and the way this would have to turn out. How how intriguing was that to you as we went into telling um, this story? Well, that, that was a huge part of it. I mean, when I first had the idea, the reason the thing I told Eric was, I mean, I remembered. I mean, even I guess old before my time. I mean, I was a teenager obsessed with baseball, watching it all the time. I bought the whole notion of baseball as a tradition rich thing. I still think baseball history is, you know, maybe my most favorite part about it in a lot of ways. So when, you know, NBC or CBS, whatever, would do these soaring montages with classical music and black and white photos or whatever, I I just ate all that stuff up. I thought it was cool. And then Fox came in and because the first year they had the World Series, it was the Yankees in the World Series for the first time really in my in my life that I was old enough to know what was going on. And I was glued to the TV and being subjected to this completely different experience of what I thought you were supposed to get when you were watching a game, you were supposed to get, you know, wrinkled Vin Scully telling stories about the Brooklyn Dodgers at Ebbets field. And you were supposed to get, you know, these pay ons to the glories of baseball past. And it had this guy with this incredibly like movie trailer announcer voiceovers. It had this hard rock and roll music. It had, extreme close-ups which even then were jarring like even if they didn't tell you you were going to do extreme close-ups of andy pettit like you were like that's a shot i don't usually see in baseball um everything about it stood out and so i kind of put myself as i often try to do with ideas is you know what did i think of this or what would i think of this and i knew that so the yankees went into 96 of course i watch every pitch of every inning and then in 98 the same thing and then in 99, they were in the ALCS on Fox. And in 2000, they win the World Series on Fox. And that's when their initial deal ended. And by that time, I was used to all of it. It suddenly, it didn't even, it was just the way you showed baseball now. Four years into their deal, it was, oh, this is how we do it. We show, you know, even when we didn't get to in the story, but they show, you know, the actors of these like B-level TV shows that they're oh, going to be yes. promoting as soon as the World Series is Allie over. McBeal you know, is at the World Series. <laughs> Never mind I mean, B-level movies. How about every prime? 
How about every prime time? And and right. frequently it wasn't even the star of their prime time show. Right. It was but to it was, your point. It was it was somebody pretty deep down the cast. But here right, they are exactly. behind home plate. We obviously, <laughs> didn't know anything about baseball or didn't really care. And it was, but that was the transformation that went from from year one of being. Oh my God! Every camera shot is different. Every graphic is different. Every voiceover is different. To yeah, that's normal. I get it. This all makes perfect sense. And. You know, I'd watch the NFL on Fox, obviously, too, but but football sort of lent itself to that aggressive uh, approach, whereas baseball, like they said, we're going to come in and shake it up, and they did. And obviously, you guys remember, there was a lot of talk after the strike in 1994-95 that baseball needed to change. It needed to be more fan-friendly. needed to get with the times and be younger. Conversations that are still going on now that have gone on forever with baseball and Fox was sort of a dose of hard reality. And one thing that didn't get into the package, but I, and I didn't know this, I certainly didn't remember. And I went and watched it to remind myself their first game was June 1st, 1996. And David Hill talks in the story about how he went to the Fox movie tone news library to get clips of all these guys that had played in black and white. Cause he wanted to show the current world audience. Like Joe DiMaggio is no different than Ken Griffey jr. They're the same person, the same player. They had to be just as good in the 1930s and 40s as they do today. And he also had given this quote that Eric had this great quote that he got saying, you know, don't show dead people, as I guess in a New York Times story. And then had some great follow up from um, David Hill and Vince in the room. But the, the June 1st, 1996 broadcast, their first major league MLB on Fox moment opens with a kid who looks like it's 1918. And he goes into a you know movie theater and puts on the newsreel, and you see all of those images and sort of traces baseball's entire history, and then sort of explodes into a wash of color and new world, and here comes the guitars and all that kind of stuff. So it was a very conscious choice by them, literally right from the first moment they came on the air, to say that we're going to do this thing differently. And it was a little much at first, I think, but then they sort of found their footing, and as Eric said, as we talked about in the story. By year 25, they are now the NBC classic. This is what we do. We're going to put like a leaf over our bug because it's the fall classic and we're going to use, you know, orchestral music sometimes. Like they've become what they initially set out to get away from or they've become an amalgam of the two. And that's been interesting. Eric? Yeah, that's a, that's a great point, Ted. And, you know, I, look, I remember just like you, I re- remember growing up and I could still hear like Al Michaels voice calling the 85 World Series or Jack Buck, uh, certainly with 91, uh, Bob Costas with a lot of, you know, NBC baseball. And that's how I grew up with it, with those voices kind of, you know, in my head. And then here comes 1996. And I was, I was in college. You had this iconic matchup of the, the team of the decade against, you know, the all-time team, the Yankees. And I'm like, okay, you have a 27-year-old fresh-faced Joe Buck. It's not Jack Buck. It's, it's Joe Buck who's on, like, the third team of the NFL broadcasts. So I thought it was jarring at first. I did. But you're right. A couple of years later, it, it just kind of it, it grew on you. you. And I think the 2001 postseason and the World Series especially, which was a classic World Series, but we didn't get to this. We could have written double the length. But this they really struck it right perfectly. It was pitch perfect with their their tone of the coverage that that postseason. And it was it was very delicate balance. But, you know, it consisted of a lot of Americana and, and this, this feeling of resolve. Uh, certainly it helped that New York, New York was in the postseason. The Yankees were there. And with George Bush throwing out the first pitch, they really did that one really well. And 
And a lot of people spoke to that as well. And by that point and, you know, onward, you know, it's just been synonymous with Major League Baseball postseason. So a lot of the stories were great that we, we captured the personalities, certainly were larger than life, especially David Hill. You know, but even Vince as a, as a PR guy was was very color, colorful as well. Uh, the promotional efforts that Fox, you know, undertook in the uh, spring of 1996, going to spring training, bouncing around in Florida and Arizona, shooting two or three spots a day with players who had never done anything like this. It was it was really kind of some of the scripts were silly. They were meant to be funny. Uh, they certainly got your attention. And, you know, whether it be Tino Martinez sitting down with a psychiatrist, you know, you know, saying he wants to be the next Don Manningly and then the psychologist, you know, writing no chance on the on the piece <laughs> of paper to to Cal Ripken, who was fully engaged. And he spent a couple days, you know, with Fox in L.A. to 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 do several promos at length. And he was fully on board. And if you got Cal Ripken on board in early 1996, uh, you, you had a good thing going in baseball. And they certainly did. It's interesting, you know, when two parties that are so different, culturally so different, say, yes, we're going to do this together. It's one thing to say, yes, we're going to do this together. And it's one thing for baseball to say, yeah, we're ready to embrace some change. And it's an, it's one thing for Fox to say, yeah, we understand you're going to have some sensitivities. But when you actually start doing it every day, how'd that go? Look, there were some ups and downs. And, you know, there was certainly pushback at times. And what, what everybody told me was, especially during owners meetings or this blue ribbon panel that was convened by Bud Selig in the mid to late nineties, uh, you know, David Hill would just go like on a rants, rants and say, we need, we need access to pitchers before the game on the day that they pitch. And, you know, the whole room stopped. I mean, you can't, you can't do that in baseball that, you know, they, they treat pitchers on game day. Like you got to keep them away from everybody. You have to have them, you know, in a room with silence. And, you know, he was really funny in how he, he described the, the scene in a lot of those movies. And, and Bud Selig would call up, you know, t- Tim Brosnan, you know, who was also at MLB at the time and, and just say, what are they doing? What are they, can you believe this? And, you know, he'd throw a, four, a few four letter words in there as well. But Bud told me that he really appreciated the ideas, even though at times you had to rein in David Hill. You certainly did. Uh, and several people on the Fox side served as filters for David Hill. Quite a character. But but he knew that the game had to be – Bud knew that the game had to be evolving at that time and, and needed a lot of innovation and change and in the way it was captured on broadcasts. So – you know, it was kind of incremental, I think. The, the catcher came in 97, you know, I think had some rocky moments. I think Tim was describing to me a, a scene where somebody would come into MLB's office with this new camera, you know, and say, how about this? You know, on top of his head, and it looked like a 747 on top of the guy's head. And it was just like, <laughs> nobody's going to wear that. You're, not, you're just not going to be able to wear that in the game. I mean, we we um, depict, you know, kind of the, the story of Jorge Posada, the Yankees catcher, covering up the camera that's in the dirt during the postseason one year. And and David Hill flipped out and I guess I'm going to say half jokingly, you know, threatened to get Posada arrested and, and prosecuted. So <laughs> there, there's a lot of funny back and forth. But again, yeah. I think at the core of it, MLB appreciated the, uh, the love for baseball that Fox had, the affection for baseball, and, and really got what they were trying to do. And incrementally over time. 
you know, it's it's really helped the, the game progress and how it's broadcast. Go ahead. Dan. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I totally agree. I mean, the, the, the yeah. thing about Fox, the thing about the, well, the oral history in particular, too, is, I mean, these guys just had, I don't know, they must have told these stories to themselves or to each other, but to see them all in one place was really interesting. And you got to feel for a reminder of just how much pushback there was from every corner. You know, right. Bud Selig was saying, we want these changes, we welcome these changes. But right down to the players who you would think would be fine with whatever is going to, you know, they're going to do that'll help grow their brand or grow their image. There was pushback from the players too. So at the end of the day, people are going to tune in. I always feel like they're going to tune in to watch based on the, the game that they're going to see, the quality of the players involved and the likely drama involved. And, and what you're doing to enhance it around the margins uh, isn't automatically by itself going to drive or push away an audience. But what Fox did became standard and the proof is in the fact that as soon as that relationship that first deal ended they immediately re-upped just with Fox. I mean, people forget now as we point out in the story though that nbc shared that initial deal with fox so baseball it was like they were willing to kind of uh, yeah. get in bed with this new network but also thank god we still got bob costas to keep us safe over here every couple of years but then when that deal ended they went to um, Fox full time, and they you know eventually brought in Turner, and Turner's gotten some postseason rights as well. But Fox is unquestionably the place for baseball. So now you have an entire generation of people who have grown up with the idea that if you want to watch a big baseball game, a big baseball moment, that's one of the things that you know I did in the package was this top twenty five moments on Fox, and you realize how many of the most iconic moments that you would now set to a montage you watched on Fox, that you watched mm. Joe Buck broadcast that moment. It wasn't. Vin Scully on NBC or Bob Costas or Keith Jackson. I mean, Bill, you remember when Keith Jackson did Major League Baseball? Oh, games? absolutely. I've watched no some remember. of those games. Yeah. No one remembers those anymore. I, don't, I mean, not just originally. Time. I watched some of those games like not that long ago. Yeah. I mean, Reggie Jackson's three home yeah. run game in 1977 was Keith Jackson, not just Woe Nelly, college football, whatever. That He was that guy. Al Michaels is primetime NFL football. He, called, he was doing the earthquake game at the 89 yes. World Series, you know, on and on and on. So – but now, for 25 years, that person has been Joe Buck. That network has been Fox. So you can start with, you know, the McGuire home run in 1998. We have a great oral history that Eric did on that. We couldn't fit in the magazine, so it's online today. Uh, the 2001 World Series that we talked about, the Red Sox ending the curse, the Cubs ending the curse, all of these moments that will live forever in baseball will go on. And, and the last thing I'll say here is, you know, we put this a note in the story, too. Fox is going to broadcast the World Series every year until 2028, unless something really unlikely happens. Uh, and that will mean that, you know, it could be a strike, could be whatever. But assuming that everything goes according to plan, by the time that current deal that they're about to start in 2022, when that deal ends in 2028, Fox will have broadcast the World Series more consecutive years than any network has ever broadcast any major professional uh, sports team sport championship with the exclusivity in the history of American television. That's how ingrained their relationship has become with Major League Baseball. And I just found that to be kind of a fascinating thing. And when I realized that, that was part of the impetus for the story was to sort of be like, wow, they, they're not just a sideline, like component partner of baseball. Like they are network baseball. And they have been most of my life and most of the lives of everybody who they're courting to try and grow into their audience. There's no end in sight. I hear no, I mean, I'm not the guy to ask about this, but I hear no sign that, and they'll be looking to get out. And the proof is that they just re-upped with them again for seven more years. So there's no end in sight for their relationship. Well, they figured out how to work together, didn't they? Absolutely. And, you know, they, they really, 
they really spoke to me at length about the ability of, I think, two people specifically in terms of storytelling uh, during games and using images to tell stories, being able to pivot very quickly from 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 one to the next. And one was certainly Joe Buck and and how he's able to do that. Uh, David Hill spoke at length about that. And also the late Bill Webb, uh, director, who everyone had, you know, effusive praise uh, for. And and he was terrific at, at capturing a lot of the images that you, they used to, to tell the story of what was occurring in a particular game. I didn't include this. I don't even think I included this in, a, in the draft. Maybe I did. I, but, you know, there was one moment in, in early the postseason 1996, and David Hill is, is back in L.A., and, and he calls Bill Webb up late at night after, you know, Bill Webb left Yankee Stadium and said, you did it. Uh, we're, 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 we nailed it. You nailed it. We're, we're getting it now. It, it's really all coming together. The storytelling, the audio, the graphics, the close-ups, the commentary. And, and Bill said, yeah, I, I think you're right. And, and that was a moment that it was all starting to come together. They, they certainly were fortunate that the 1996 World Series was, did not turn out to be a sweep as you know it, it once looked like it, it would when the Yankees lost the first two at home. And then the Yankees, you know, have a dynasty for the for the rest of the 1990s and and early in the next decade as well. You know when they get to the World Series, you know one, you know with the Diamondbacks in, in Game Seven. So, you know all that was was integral to, to this. And you know I I got to say the summer of 1998, the stories that Ed Gordon and David Hill shared about how that all played out, and the foresight that Ed Gordon had, like in July, that hey McGuire will break this record. We need to figure out how to get this on air prime time in September uh, to show to show the country the record breaking home run and and what it all took to have to get that to happen. And it was not it it was not easy. And you go to you go tell, you know, the folks on the on the network side of the primetime network side that, hey, we want to show in a couple months, you know, Mark McGuire may break this record. We're going to need to preempt some of the new programming. And it's like, what? Okay, well, when's he going to break it? Oh, we don't know that. Uh, well, he is going to break it, isn't he? Oh, uh, well, we don't know that either. But, you know, we, we kind of have a gut feeling that he's going to break it. So, you know, everything that went into that, very entertaining. So I'm glad that's that's online as well. Well, very helpful that, you know, you think about the influence that David Hill had, you know, his 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 relationship going back to with Rupert Murdoch, you know, going back to their to their days at Sky, that that really I think ends up playing a key role because again, David ends up not just running, you know, David ran entertainment at Fox after he ran entertainment, ran Fox Sports. You know, he briefly was basically the head of the network, not just the sports network, the head of the network. And that tells you a lot about sort of the, the gravitas that he had within with that in that organization. I know that played a role. I, I'll tell you one of the things that, Ted, you know, you mentioned the close-ups of the players and the way that changed the way we view the game. Think about, and especially this plays out in the postseason, right? In the regular season, it's not so much a factor. And even on Fox's occasional sun, you know, their occasional afternoon games, it may feel a bit overdone. But in the postseason, those moments between pitches, we talk about pace of the game and how the games are taking too long. But one of the things that Fox really did a good job of is filling that moment with these shots of the crowd. You think about the way that it changed, the way we view those dramatic moments late in a baseball game, in the postseason, in the World Series especially where at that time we're not standing watching a pitcher getting a sign right it's it's the it's the quick shots from this fan to that fan to that fan 
back to the field right. to the first baseman shuffling his feet over to the pitcher, back out to the fan. It sets up this feeling of drama, doesn't it, Ted? No, absolutely. And you're right. And the baseball, it's funny. I was found myself watching an old game. Actually, it turned out to be the last uh, NBC baseball game that they've ever had, really, um, just last night, because uh, I was still looking for more baseball after the games had ended. And they were, this was in 2000, the ALCS, and Bob Costas and Joe Morgan were complaining about the pace of the game and players step out after every pitch, but they didn't do anything to heighten the drama of that moment. All they did was complain about it. Fox takes those moments and tries, you know, whether successful or not, and say, look, if you're going to dance out of the batter's box for eight seconds, we're going to do something here other than go with like a random shot of, uh, you know, the manager in the dugout and complaining about things. We're going to try and, and heighten the drama here a little bit. We're going to do a split screen. We're going to, you know, zoom in real close on the pitcher's face as he's you know, licking his lips and looking fierce. Or we're going to try and show you the catcher's signal, whatever. Like they found little ways that they could to bring, you know, David Hill talks about in the story, a Hollywoodization of baseball to the masses. And I think it helped. I mean, it couldn't have hurt for sure, but it was definitely something that you, you know, never spend any time as a, TV viewer, at least I didn't, thinking about the way games were produced. Fox kind of forced you to think about, oh, you could do this differently. I mean, my recollection of being young and watching sports on TV was that there was no real distinction between how NBC or CBS would broadcast a basketball game or a football game or a baseball game, whatever. It just kind of all looked the same. Fox definitely was trying to do it differently. And to their credit, they did it differently in football and baseball without making people go, what, what is this nonsense? I'm not watching this now. Hockey was a little bit different. Remember they did the glowing puck and like that was met with a lot of resistance and they eventually got rid of it. Yeah, that was a but disaster. they were willing to try things. And I, I give them a lot of credit for being willing to, you know, have the, the guts to do it. And I, I say this too, it comes across in the story beautifully that Eric did. You know, these guys were not shy about voicing their opinion and saying, you need us more than we need you, or at least as much as we need you. We're going to do these things and you're just going to have to be on board with it. They told that to players, to owners, to people in the MLB executive offices, and it worked. But it, you know, they did not come in with timidity at all. They came in ready to do what they said they were going to do. No doubt. And you know, in terms of close-up shots that were memorable, some of the individuals told me in '96 postseason they would show you know shots of. Joe Torrey's sister sitting in the stands with the rosary beads and it was just gold and it just ca- captured the, <laughs> ten- the how tense it was and the suspense and the drama. And, you know, I could, I could, I remember that like it was yesterday. Those, all those, those tight Yankee games with Jeter at bat and everything it just felt like October. And, and they really, they really captured that. So uh, you're right. I mean, they thought outside the box with it. It's cliche to say, but they kind of, reshaped what you could do with a baseball broadcast that you know, a lot of people never really even thought about. We only got a little bit of time left. Eric, I want to make sure you get to tell the, the, uh, the Ken Griffey Jr. promotional spot story. Cause that's, that's a great one. And, and, and really reflective of, of, of the things that Fox had to work on. The point you just brought up was them being able to say, no, we, we need to do this. Well, boy, did they run headlong into uh, culture shock when they tried with that, didn't they? Right. Without giving away the whole entirety of the issue, which has, I mean, people like this anecdote, I promise you there's like five <laughs> others that are as good or better, but that's how good this reporting by Eric was. But go ahead. This is a good one. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll tease some of it, but look, Ken Griffey Jr. was 
was the biggest star in the game in terms of talent. And he had the, the smoothest swing, you know, everything was just perfect with how he played. He also had a rather large ego. So, you know, the guys at Fox tried to play toward that ego and, and create a promo that essentially he would try to, he would hit invisible baseball and he would even, even hit that out of the park and hit a home run when he couldn't even see the baseball. So, that he was that good. And, you know, they had to run it by Nike. Nike liked it. They had to run it by the Mariners. Mariners liked it, right? Ran it by Griffey's agent and other reps. And they liked it. The union liked it. Okay. Everybody's on board. You know, they get out to Arizona. They're waiting to film it. They're just waiting for Ken Griffey Jr. To walk out of the dugout and, and they can go with it. He doesn't, he doesn't come out of the dugout. Doesn't show at all. Uh, somebody goes in there comes back out and says, he's not doing it. He's just not doing this. He doesn't like it. He thinks it's stupid and he's not doing it. Tracy Dolgen, you know, I, I got to give the guy credit for, for just, a lot of people wouldn't have done this. I mean, he, he got pissed and he got, he went right into the Mariners clubhouse, went right up to Griffey and said, what do you mean you're not doing it? And, you know, Griffey said, I'm not doing it. It's stupid. I never agreed to this. And, and Dolgen was holding the folder of all the uh, the approvals he he got for Griffey to to actually do the do the spot. Griffey said, "I don't care. I'm not doing it." And and then Tracy did something that I think few would do. He said, "George, you are doing it. Stop this and get out there." And I'll tell you, I mean, Ken Griffey Jr.'s reaction after that, when you call him by his real first name, <laughs> that, as he said, only his mama calls him. That that caused quite a scene. A near altercation. I mean, Vince Wadica, the PR guy, was standing right there laughing his his butt off and and really feared that <laughs> that Ken Griffey was going to break break Tr- Tracy in half. And and how that you know, long story short, short turned out to be turned out to work out. And and Griffey actually did the promo. You know, check out the anecdote because it's it's classic. And there's a lot more like that. All right, you guys got anything else? Go ahead. No, I mean, I would just say this was as much fun as I've had, you know, working on a story and and thinking about, you know, the ways it could fit together. And and as you said at the beginning, all you need with the oral history is you need the other people to deliver. Because if you're going to do it as an oral history, if you're doing it as a regular story, you can, as the reporter, the writer, the editor, you know, fill in a lot of the gaps for them. Or maybe you don't need, you know, great anecdotes on every every paragraph because you can sort of do your own research and find the details on your own. But if you're going to do it as an oral history, you need people to give you the goods to carry a full story. And this, the anecdotes were so good here that Eric got that we grew the story bigger and bigger until it was too big. And we had to, you know, find homes for others. And as Eric says, we could probably do a part two sometime. Um, It was just really fun to read. And that's what you want out of a story like this to learn, you know, what was really going on, what people really thought the conversations that they really had, and from the first anecdote to the last thing here, that's what we got. So I was super pleased with it. I think it was just a lot of fun to read, and I, I think people will enjoy it. I, I love doing it. So much fun. I, I can't thank everybody at Fox and MLB enough for, for the access, the color, the storytelling. In total, I interviewed 11 people, I think, and most of the interviews were at least an hour long. Uh, there were a couple that were 90 minutes long. It got a lot. And, you know, I, what I wanted to do was capture their ability to tell a story in their own voice and then the challenge on my end to organize it in a way that, that made it flow and, you know, where it read like a, you know, nar- a narrative 
you know, story. And, you know, I think we, I know we accomplished that. Uh, Ted was a, was a great help with, with so much, so much of it. And again, I thank all the, all the people I spoke to because their access and cooperation and ability to, to tell me these stories was just a, uh, invaluable so it was a lot of fun well it's great stuff and uh and and i i think people will devour it as we chug forward to what will be a very very different world series than any we've had before ted keith eric prisbell thanks so much thanks a lot bill thanks bill that's going to do it for this week for eric prisbell ted keith and our producer chris mason i'm bill king and this has been first look <laughs>